I had a dream last night. And any time I have a dream on a Saturday night before church on Sunday, it's usually not a good one. And I dreamt that I was performing or going to perform a wedding and nothing was going right. I came to the church. I didn't have a suit coat on. I didn't have a tie. I had a vest on for some reason. I've worn a vest for years. And of course, I didn't have any notes, anything to go by. And I thought, what am I going to do? So I thought, well, I could probably remember the vows. I've done those, you know, over and over again. And so I was kind of rehearsing the vows in my mind. And then I started thinking, well, what am I going to say to the bride and groom? I haven't even thought about that. Just like, oh, man. And the ones that were getting married, I can't tell you who they are because you'll know maybe one or both of them. And it's just like, boy, that's an interesting couple getting married. So... <laughs> I'm thankful that I can preach about marriage today rather than do a wedding because I don't know what I would have done standing up here with nothing to say. Well, we turn this morning to Acts chapter 18. I'm going to do something a little different this morning. Is that okay with you? I don't hear much response, but even if it's not okay with you, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it anyhow. Normally, I'll take a passage of Scripture and read it and preach on that text. Today, I'm going to do a little bit different focus on a, more like a character study, looking at a, a married couple in the New Testament. And we find uh, six references to them. Three of them are found in Acts chapter 18. So I'm going to read part of that chapter as we begin in Jesus' name. So I'm going to start at verse 1. I'll be picking a few verses out of chapter 18. After these things, he, that is Paul, left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them. And they were working, for by trade they were tent makers." And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Now don't jump down to verse 18. Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria, and with him were Priscilla and Aquila. In Sancria he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a bow. They came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent, but taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills, he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. And having spent some time there, he left and passed successively through the Galatian region and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. 
And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you on this Valentine's Day for the great love that you have poured out to us. We thank you for the church, the bride of Christ. And we thank you for Christian families, Christian marriages that are a picture, an illustration to the world, uh, Jesus' relationship to his church, his bride. And so, Father, I pray that you would open our uh, eyes, our our minds, our hearts to your truth today. Uh, May your word sanctify us in that truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are several passages in the New Testament that give us some very clear teaching about marriage. We could have looked at Colossians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 3, which we already read from this morning. And all of them describe in, in a wonderful way what a marriage, a Christian marriage, ought to look like. But I, I think sometimes it's helpful to look at a flesh and blood example of a marriage. How does a Christian marriage function? What's it like to have a Christ-centered marriage? And I believe we see then in the life of, who are they? You recognize their names? Aquila and Priscilla. That's kind of a a great ring, right? They just rhyme together, Aquila and Priscilla. A powerful example of what Jesus does in a marriage and how Jesus transformed their lives and how he was using them to further the kingdom of God. So what does a Christ-centered message look like? Well, first of all, in a Christ-centered marriage, our lives are one, right? Our lives are one. And the first thing that strikes me about Priscilla and Aquila, they are always mentioned together. Six times we find reference to this couple, and you never find one of them mentioned apart from the other. They are always mentioned together. We saw that in the three verses that mention their name in this text, verse 2, verse 18, verse 26. So whenever you see one of them, you are sure to see the other. There was such a oneness in this couple's relationship. I remember when my mother died and we were trying to get pictures for a little display for people to look at at my mom when we had the the, the service. There weren't a lot of pictures really because I don't know if my mom and dad ever had a camera. Um, I was really a beautiful baby, but there's hardly any pictures of me when I was a child. It's just like Any pictures that they had were pictures that others took of them and gave to them. And almost every single picture of my mom, my dad was in them too. It's like they were always together, side by side. And so when my dad died eight weeks later, we just used the same uh, collage because you weren't going to find a picture of him unless my mom was in it. 
And I thought, you know, that is a picture of what a husband and life, life, wife need to live. That there's a, there's a oneness there. There's a togetherness there. And so that's what Aquila and Priscilla, the picture in my mind, this, this foundational uh, principle of marriage. When a man and woman are married, the two become one, right? The two become one. And so God establishes a oneness in their relationship that should not only never be broken, but it's a oneness that ought to be seen in the way that they live. We see this principle of marriage right, right from the beginning, don't we? In Genesis chapter 2, the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he took a rib and closed the flesh. And, and then the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man. Then he brought her to the man. So God was ordaining this relationship. And then Adam says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. And then it says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become what? One flesh. Reminds me of what Dr. James Dobson said one time. He said that he and Shirley, if the two become one flesh, he said, Shirley believes it should be sweaty. He said, uh, the only thing we don't quite agree on is the temperature that you set the house on, right? <laughs> so if the two become one, he said, it should be sweaty. So that principle is quoted by Jesus. Matthew chapter 19. And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. Whose idea is that? That is God's. God made people male and female. And anybody who's going to try and change that, that is a direct conflict with God's plan. Okay? Male and female. And then he quotes that. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And if that wasn't enough, Paul quotes it in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So, if repetition is the secret of learning and a way to emphasize something, then this principle of marriage is one that needs to be emphasized. It is foundational to our understanding of a marriage relationship. Now that oneness is obviously a physical oneness. It certainly includes that. But the oneness in marriage also needs to be an emotional oneness and most importantly, a spiritual oneness. It is a oneness that it is experienced to the greatest degree when husband and wife both love Jesus. That's the, the way that you can experience oneness to the greatest degree is when husband and wife are both trusting in Jesus. It's like a triangle, right? 
Husband and wife, when your focus is on the Lord, and like was sung this morning, you're seeking to know Him more, what happens? You become closer and closer and closer together the more you both focus on the Lord. A marriage can never be what God intended it to be without a living relationship with Jesus. So don't even attempt it. And don't approach... I've told the Bible school class when I taught there for 17 years going through Genesis, I've told them, I said, do not approach marriage as a method of evangelism. You know what I mean by that? That's an unequal yoke. And don't fall for this idea that, well, she's so close or he's willing to come to church with me. If there is not a living relationship in both husband and wife, look out. That can cause trouble. That's not, I would never say that there was an unequal yoke in marriage and the, and the other person never came to the Lord. But I've seen more the other way, where it results in the one who was following the Lord ends up being pulled away from Jesus. So a spiritual oneness in marriage begins with a personal relationship with Jesus, but it doesn't end there. It is one thing to know Him. It is another thing to grow in Him. And this is where some Christian marriages struggle. You can't remain a spiritual baby and experience the kind of oneness that God has designed in marriage. There needs to be that desire of both husband and wife, to continue to grow in their relationship with the Lord. And you know why that's necessary? Every marriage that I've officiated at, every marriage that I've ever heard of or ever known of, is a marriage between two imperfect people. Have you found that to be true? My wife has. She knows I'm imperfect, right? And so there needs to be that growing relationship with Jesus because only Jesus can bring about those changes in our lives that need to be made. Those lasting changes of Him transforming our, our lives. So when you come to the place, when you are wondering if it's time to get married, you need to ask yourself this, am I growing in my relationship with Jesus? Is the one I want to marry growing in their relationship with Jesus? Because that's what it takes. That spiritual oneness. So in Christ, in a Christ-centered marriages, a marriage, our lives are one. Not just physically and emotionally, but most of all, spiritually. The second thing we notice here is that in a Christ-centered marriage, our focus is ministry. The first few verses of our text tell us that Paul met Priscilla and Aquila in the city of Corinth. Corinth was not their hometown. They lived in Rome and they were expelled from Rome by Claudius because all the Jews were booted out of Rome. And so Priscilla and Aquila ended up in Corinth. You know how far it is from Rome to Corinth? It's over 600 miles. They traveled a long way from Rome, ended up in the city of Corinth, and that's where Paul evidently met them. And Paul had several things in common with them. They were Jews, like he was. 
They were tent makers like he was. They were believers in Jesus like he was. And he developed with this married couple a very deep and lasting bond. They were such a, an encouragement to this apostle. And that relationship went on for years and, and years. In fact, they were so deeply committed to help Paul in his ministry that he lived with them. Verse 3 of our text says, He was of the same trade. He stayed with them. And they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. Now, I'm not sure how long he stayed with them. If it was the entire time that he was in Corinth, that would be a long time because he was there for a year and six months. Okay, That's a pretty... Significant commitment, right? If he stayed with them the whole time, having someone in your home like that for a a year and a half. And so they had a, a very supportive role in Paul's life and ministry. But it was a very important role because it enabled him to more effectively minister in Corinth. So they were involved in this ministry together with this Apostle named Paul. You know, there are some Christians who think that to really serve the Lord, you need to be a pastor or you need to be a missionary. Like there's, you know, different classes of, of uh, servants of the Lord. Would you just push that thought out of your mind? That, that, that has no basis in Scripture. That if you really are going to serve the Lord, then you'll go into uh, full-time ministry. I don't even like that terminology because every Christian is in full-time ministry. (laughs) Because wherever you go, you're letting the light of Jesus shine. Wherever you go, every day of your life, you are representing Jesus. You are in ministry whether you get paid by the church or not. Christian nurses, Christian teachers, Christian farmers, Christian moms. Wherever God has placed you, that is your place of service. Did you notice what the cover of our bulletin said this morning? See that picture on there of flowers blooming? And what does it say? Bloom where God plants you. That could have been the motto of Priscilla and Aquila because wherever God planted them, they were blooming. Wherever God placed them, they were serving. They saw those places where the Lord had put them as that place at that time for them to serve the Lord. Now, I don't know how you view the place where God has put you. Maybe maybe you don't like your job. Could that ever be? Maybe you don't like the people you work with. Could, could that ever be? Maybe you don't like where you live. Maybe you'd rather live in Florida or Arizona today, huh? After walking outside and your eyeballs were about to, to freeze. Maybe you'd, you'd rather be doing something else in some other place. Would it make a difference if you were committed to bloom where you were planted. To look at the place where God has put you at this stage of your life as the place where He wants you to be. 
The place where you can serve. The place where you can minister in full time, right? Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, you're serving the Lord. If God called you to do so, would you be willing to move somewhere else if God had a calling for you? Because that's what happened with Priscilla and Aquila. They were forced out of Rome, ended up in Corinth. But then look at verse 18. Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And notice this phrase, and with him were Priscilla and Aquila. Now, that's more than just a travel log that Luke is noting here. Well, Paul went and they went with him. That's just something about what their, their flexibility in following God's call for their life. When Paul went to Ephesus, we're coming with you. We are going to go with you. Just as they supported his ministry in Corinth, now they were going with him to Ephesus They just picked up their tent-making business and they went with Paul to plant a church in, in Ephesus. Now, think about that. Think about the day in which we live in today. It is becoming increasingly possible for someone to pick up their bags and move with their same job, right? Aquila and... You know what I mean. Aquila and Priscilla, they just took their tent-making ministry and went from Corinth to Ephesus because that's where they were needed. There are people today who could pick up their business and head somewhere else and help start a church. I could tell you someone who would be very interested in hearing you talk about that. That would be our whole mission director, Jim Johnson, because... As whole mission churches are starting, that's one of the things they're doing. They're getting the Aquilas and Priscillas of the family of God, and they're moving out with a pastor to start a congregation. So it's not just this lone ranger pastor. It's a a team, huh? A team. And so here's what Priscilla and Aquila did. And Paul stayed in Ephesus for a while. He ministered there and then... And then he left. He was traveling through Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening disciples who had come to know the Lord earlier. But verse 19 says that he left Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus. Now, I don't know what was going through their mind, but were they saying, well, we're just lay people. What are we going to do, huh? We're not apostles like Paul. You mean you're going to leave us here? I don't know if they said that, but I could imagine that. So he left them there. And what did they do in Ephesus? Well, at the end of the chapter, Luke tells us one of the things they did, and it was really pretty significant. There was a man by the name of Apollos. He was an Alexandrian by birth, eloquent man. He came to Ephesus And he was mighty in the Scriptures. You get the impression that here was a brilliant, knowledgeable man. Verse 25, it said, He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things of Jesus. But, 
acquainted only with the baptism of John. So here's a guy, brilliant, educated, fervent, must have been a, quite a communicator, but there was one area of his knowledge that wasn't yet complete. Who's going to tell a guy like that? Are you going to come up to Apollos, um, all of his doctor degrees, and say, um, by the way, there's something that's not quite right in your theology. Guess who it was? Aquila and Priscilla. Verse 26, And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, I would assume that took a little bit of courage on the part of Paul or Aquila and Priscilla, but they were willing to do it. And they did it in the right way too, didn't they? Verse 26 says, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. What would have happened if they would have publicly rebuked him? What would that have done to the Ephesian congregation? I can imagine that could have caused some trouble, but they took him aside. He was not a false teacher. He just hadn't heard all the the, the truth. uh, And so they explained it to him more accurately. And when he understood the way of God more accurately, his ministry became that much more effective because he went to Achaia then, verse 27 says, when he wanted to go to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So that married couple had a ministry to Paul, had a ministry to Apollos. Are you getting the feeling that that ministry is a team effort? Absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. Paul wasn't the lone ranger. Apollos wasn't a lone ranger. They had people in their lives that ministered to them, encouraged them. And one was a couple named Aquila and Priscilla. Now, I've served congregations since 1983. That's how old I am. And I am so thankful for the Aquilas and Priscillas that I've met over the years. People in the congregations that I've served are so supportive and so encouraging and so, we are in this together, Pastor. You can count on me. I thank God for the Aquilas and Priscillas. And here's what I've learned. I've learned that solid Christian marriages result in solid Christian ministry and this has a powerful impact on the lives of others. 
Solid Christian marriages result in solid Christian ministry and this has a powerful impact on the lives of others. So as you think of your marriage, are you committed to serve together? Do you see your lives as God bringing you together so that you can serve Him? When I do weddings and I remember my notes... I often have a prayer, and maybe you recognize part of this prayer, a prayer for bride and groom by Lewis Evans. Any of you remember that prayer? Part of the prayer says this, Teach them that marriage is not living merely for each other. If that's all it is, you're you're missing it. Teach them that marriage is not living merely for each other. It is two uniting and joining hands to serve thee. Give them great spiritual purpose in life. May they seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and the other things shall be added unto them. So if you see marriage as merely living for each other, that it's just about you two. And you're not concerned about anything else. You're missing something. God has a purpose in uniting you two together that you might serve the Lord. Like Aquila and Priscilla. Now this doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Anyone who is committed to ministry knows that it, it can cost you. And if you look at what Paul says about this couple in Romans chapter 16, where we meet them again, which is interesting because Paul is writing to the church at Rome, and where are they? They're back in Rome. <laughs> so they were in Rome, they went to Corinth, they went to Ephesus, and now they were back in Rome. I wouldn't call them homebodies, would you? I mean, they were willing to go where where the Lord sent them, and so they were in Rome. And so Paul says in Romans 16.3, Greet Prisca and Aquila, so she must have had a nickname, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. And then he says in verse 4, Who for my life risk their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Think of the impact that that married couple had. Paul says that all of the churches of the Gentiles are thankful for Priscilla and Aquila. That's pretty significant, isn't it? That showed the impact that this one couple had, not just on their own Uh, congregation, not just with Paul and Apollos, but wow, that was, that's pretty significant. They risked their own necks. Now I tried to find out if there was something specific somewhere that, and I'm not sure I could uh, point to something, but they were willing to be associated with the Apostle Paul And doing so, in one way or another, they were laying their lives on the line. Because when you associate with this man who was put in jail everywhere he went and was persecuted, and you're one with him, that puts you in a position where, yeah, you you might be one who faces persecution just like him. 
It's no wonder Paul thanked God for them. A Christ-centered message, marriage, focuses on ministry. How can we join together to serve Jesus? Then there's a third thing we notice. In a Christ-centered marriage, our home is a church. Now, that might sound strange to us today because what do we think of when we think of a church? We don't necessarily meet in our homes like they did in the first century. We come to church, and that's fine. We meet in a a nice, warm place. But in the early days of the church, congregations met in homes. Nympha, (laughs) there's a good name for a baby. Bethany, Nympha. Colossians 4.15, Paul says, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. How about Philemon? Verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, probably his wife, our sister, and to Archippus, maybe their son, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. You know what it says about Aquila and Priscilla? But you can guess, it says the same thing. Romans 16, verse 5, Greet the church that is in their house, Priscilla and Aquila. 1 Corinthians 16, 19, The churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. So they saw their home not just as a place for them to live, it was... A church, it was a place of, of worship. So there's a sense in which we also ought to see our homes as a church because our homes ought to be a place of worship, right? A place where the Word of God is read and proclaimed and, and honored and obeyed. A place where prayer ought to be offered. A, a place where songs of praise to Jesus ought to be sung Worship is not reserved just for this hour on Sunday morning. I hope you know that. I think you do. Worship is to be a part of everything we do every day of our lives because everything we do is to be offered to Jesus as worship, right? Really? Everything we do? Ruth Graham believed that. You know what she had above her sink where she washed dishes? It said, divine services conducted here daily. Now that'll put a new spin on uh, some of the things that you may not like to do. Maybe you should put that above the changing table for your baby on the wall, huh? Kind of odd, but divine services conducted here daily. Well, that's that's it, right? If if you are there in all that you do to serve Jesus, even if you need a clothespin on your nose, right? Divine service is conducted daily. Even the mundane things of life take on meaning when they're done for Jesus. I've told you before, but my mother, I found this out after she died, but she told one of the gals at our congregation in Cloquet that when my mother washed clothes, who was ever clothes she was folding, she would pray. For us. 
me and my brothers and my dad. That's worship, isn't it? Even something so um, mundane. Maybe you like washing clothes. I know some of you like washing clothes. Can that be a time of worship? Absolutely. Absolutely. So what is your marriage relationship like? Is there a a spiritual oneness there? Are you joining hands together to serve the Lord? Is your home a place of, of worship? We're not told how Aquila and Priscilla came to know Jesus. But looking at their lives, the way they lived, it's clear they knew him. And it is clear that they were growing in him. Jesus was transforming their lives and their marriage then became a testimony to the life-changing power of the gospel and a picture of Jesus' relationship to his church. So if you forget everything I've said this morning, I want you to remember this. Solid Christian marriages... Result in solid Christian ministry. And this has a powerful impact on the lives of others. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for people like Aquila and Priscilla who gave of themselves to serve you, to love each other, to love other people. And I pray, Lord, that you would make our marriages like that, our homes like that, a place of ministry for the honor and the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.